The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Before we meet today's guest, let me tell you about another podcast I post called Conversations on the Edge. Conversations on the Edge introduces you to a motley crew of thinkers with offbeat and bold perspectives on spirituality, community, and culture. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Our guest today, Sarah Hurwitz, was chief speechwriter for Hillary Clinton's 2008 presidential campaign. She was senior speechwriter for President Barack Obama from 2009 to 2010 and head speechwriter for First Lady Michelle Obama from 2010 to 2017. Sarah is a graduate of Harvard University at Harvard Law School, and she was ranked among the 50 most important American Jews by The Forward magazine in 2016. Her new book is Here All Along, Finding Meaning, Spirituality, and a Deeper Connection to Life in Judaism. Sarah Horowitz, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you. The book was fantastic. The challenge for us is that, I mean, you're, the book is all about your enthusiasm for Judaism. As a rabbi, I used to be enthusiastic about Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, you know, I really want to avoid going into the Jewish weeds. So, so we'll, we're going to keep that to a minimum. So set the stage for us. You know, you, you left religion, then you came back to religion. What caused you to leave and what drew you back? Yeah, you know, I kind of grew up in, you know, I went to the synagogue, I went to the Hebrew school, but just not, religion didn't speak to me, right? It just didn't, didn't speak to me. I wasn't spiritually moved. It seemed like it was about this man in the sky who rewards and punishes us and controls everything. And I didn't buy that. So I thought, okay, I'm an atheist. All right. You know, and after I had my bat mitzvah, I kind of drifted away. But then interestingly, at the age of 36, I broke up with this guy I was dating and I just had all this time on my hands. And I happened to hear about an intro to Judaism class. And I, I signed up not to fill some gaping hole or because I was on some, you know, eat, pray, love kind of journey. But I, I really was just looking to fill a Wednesday night, right? It could have been a karate class and maybe today I'd be a black belt. I don't know. But I, I signed up and what I found in that class really blew me away. So was the guy Jewish? <laughs> he was. He was Jewish. Oh, he was. Lovely he guy. Was. Lovely guy. We're still friends, still friendly. Yes. I don't know why I had to ask you that, but I felt, <laughs> you know, I had to ask you that. It was, so, it was cool. I get it. <laughs> so if God isn't the old man in the sky, then how do you think about God? I mean, right? Exactly. And I think the crux of the issue here is that God, I don't even like the word God, right? It's such a small human created word. 
And it so connotes this man who does things and feels things. And we say, well, God thinks this and God feels that. And I reject all of that, right? I think that what we're talking about is so much bigger, so much, so far beyond the reaches of our tiny little human minds that we can't even really articulate it, which makes it challenging. You know, I think there's a rabbi named Arthur Green who has this beautiful passage about God or the divine where he, he asks, you know, have you ever been out in nature and been so overwhelmed by the beauty of it or been looking up at the stars and just been, you know, moved by your tininess in this infinite universe? Or have you been there when your parent took their last breath or when your child was born or had this really powerful experience when in deep human relation with another, another person, right? Those are moments that they touch us. There's something about them that is transcendent, that just lifts us out of the ordinary, right? That's something that's unique and special, and we can't quite articulate it. But I think that's actually a good starting place when talking about the divine, right? Like, I think that we're talking about something that's not a man, but a, a sense, an experience, something we can't quite capture in more. So the fact that it's ineffable, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I know you're Jewish, and the book is about finding your way back to Judaism. But what you're describing really is Taoism, right? I mean, it's it's God as as the natural world. So, and and I agree with you. I mean, that's. I would push that. I mean, I'm sure that is Taoism. But I mean, isn't this what the mystics said in some way, right? The Jewish mystics, the Kabbalists, the Hasid. These were folks centuries ago who their theology was the idea that God is everything, right? Everything is the divine. You're God. I'm God. There is nothing separating us. Right. That's one Jewish idea. But then, look, there are other. Martin Buber says God is what arises in deep relation between two people when they're really fully contemplating each other in their fullest humanity. Mordecai Kaplan says God is the process by which we become our highest selves. Abraham Joshua Heschel says that God is this loving force who's sort of out there looking for us. Right. It's not about us trying to find God. It's about also God trying to find us. Right. There's so many different conceptions. I actually don't think it's helpful to kind of say, OK, let's define God. Like, God is X. Like, we don't know. We just don't know. But what is helpful is to kind of share all these different conceptions, right? That's sort of how I, I understand this stuff. And I, don't, yeah. I would say that that's very Jewish. Okay. I mean, I, I certainly am not going to argue with that. I think <laughs> in a sense, though, it's, it's somewhat, and I agree that the Kabbalistic notion, I mean, that's my personal theology. I don't like the word God either. I use it all the time because it's a good hook to get people yeah. what what's he talking about but exactly. um i prefer the word from the chernobyl rebbe in the 1800s when when he said he calls god chiyut in hebrew aliveness mm, and you know that it. and everything you and i and everything are manifestations of aliveness the way waves are manifestations of an ocean and i find that exactly. very powerful very compelling and the example you gave from Art Green, you know, going out in nature, having that experience, I mean, you hear that from, from lots of people because I think people are natural mystics, you know. I think mm. they were hardwired for that kind of experience of the aliveness. And yet we put religion, and I mean this literally, in a brick box. You know, mm -hmm. if you ask people where they're the most spiritual, oh, on a mountaintop, by a lake. On, on an ocean, walking, you know, in the woods. And yet when we do spirit, supposedly spiritual things, we lock ourselves in a room and we breathe air-conditioned air and it's oftentimes windowless. It's like, what happened? Right, right. And, you know, what's interesting to me is that Jewish spirituality 
it's actually not just about going out to the mountaintop and listening to the secrets of the universe or these kind of like rare highs. Judaism, I think, also locates spirituality in these everyday acts, right? Like what I understand, you know, Judaism has this sense, has this belief that there there are 613, we call them mitzvot, but they're basically laws that were articulated in the Torah, which is our key holy document. And like, okay, let's not get into the weeds, but just the idea being that when we perform one of these laws, when I, one of these laws is, you know, you have to give money to those who are in need, right? To those who are struggling. Like when I do that, when I open my wallet and I give money to someone who's really struggling, that's a, a spiritual moment. That's the moment when I am in touch with the divine, right? The moment when I visit a, a friend who's sick, I'm in touch with the divine. The moment when I decide not to gossip, a moment when I curb my own greed or anger or lust, you know, whatever it is, like that I think Judaism sees as a very, as a, very much a spiritual moment, right? So I kind of, I reject a little bit the kind of, you know, there's sort of this modern spirituality, which is all about seeking out the rare high, right? Like doing the ayahuasca, going to Burning Man, going up on that mountain. And like, that's great, you know, please have those experiences. But like, that's all kind of self-exploration and self-affirmation and self-discovery. But what about self-restraint and self-discipline and self-sacrifice and self-transcendence, right? I think that's the key part of the spiritual project I as well. I agree with that. But you're not saying that that's a uniquely Jewish thing. No, of course not. No. I think, like, you know, I, I, will, I will never say, oh, only Judaism has moral wisdom. Of course not. That's, that's absurd. Every, all of the world's religious traditions has profound moral wisdom, right? Like, I, I think we should actually learn and study all of them, right? I've learned a great deal from these other traditions, from my friends of, of other faiths. Judaism just happens to be my tradition, right? This is the moral wisdom and the, the practices that I choose to engage with, but they're no better or worse than anyone else's practices. We all have different ways of, I think, getting it very Yeah, similar. I agree. I mean, my, my go-to metaphor for religion is language. You know, there's no mm. tr one true language. There's varieties of language. Languages are shaped by and shape the culture out of which they come. And, and Judaism is simply my mother tongue. Right. And that's yeah. that's my go to my go to language. But the more languages I know, the language of Hinduism and Buddhism and Christianity and Sufism and all the rest, the more nuanced my understanding becomes. And I hear you saying the more nuanced my appreciation for Judaism becomes. Exactly. Exactly. I, I think that is, you know, I, I think that I can't fully appreciate what Judaism has to teach me unless I know a little bit about other faiths. Right. Like, I think that actually has helped me better understand and appreciate Judaism. So I am you know, a big fan of, of interfaith learning and efforts. I think it's really important. So let's go, let's go back to the, the notion of God, because you and I have a similar approach to this. So I don't want to say our God, meaning you and I, but I'll right. say for me and then you can jump in. So my God doesn't write books, doesn't choose people like Jews being the chosen people, doesn't dabble in real estate. My, it's, <laughs> it seems to me that, that the God of any given parochial religion, Judaism, Christianity, whatever, is always in service to the powers that run the religion. So, mm. I mean, you can, you can push back on that certainly if you want to. But my question is, to the extent that that's true, why should we put ourselves in the hands of that overwhelmingly patriarchal, 
dualistic, tribalist system, as opposed to the things you're talking about, um, which is, you know, not just the highs, but the the self-restraint and the self-sacrifice that comes with being there for another person, or the way Genesis puts it in in chapter 12, verse 3, being a blessing to all the families Mm. of the earth. So when I read the book, I got the sense that you were straining in a good way to take Judaism to a more open place than the way you're finding it. Am I reading into it? No, I mean, I think what's interesting to me is sort of the way, you know, the Judaism that you're, what you're defining as authentic Judaism, sort of dualistic and patriarchal and a a God who does this and that. I just, I, I don't, I don't know if I buy that, right? I, I, there, there are certainly a small number of people in the Jewish world who do practice Judaism that way, and that's that's their Judaism. But I actually think the Judaism I articulate in my book is probably pretty mainstream in terms of what 90% of American Jews are practicing and learning, right? Like my book is not, you know, what I articulate is actually not some like radical new interpretation. I'm quoting many mainstream rabbis and scholars. Like it's not you know, I'm not sort of making up a new kind of Judaism. You know, what Judaism is, is generation after generation. It's reinterpretation. Yeah, I understand that. And But if you're going to throw around the number like 90% who are on the liberal end of things, the vast majority of those 90% don't go to synagogue. They don't find it meaningful. I mean, here, here we are in right between Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and most Jews don't bother with Judaism. Most 70% of, you know, of Jews intermarry. Most of their children are not engaged in any kind of serious Judaism. Most Jews are not engaged in any kind of serious Judaism. Defining, defining serious Judaism is what you're talking about. You know, looking at the text and finding these principles and living the life that you're saying is uniquely and, and powerfully Jewish. Most people aren't doing that. And then the question I have, though, putting that aside maybe, is which comes first, the liberalism, and then you read Judaism in the light of it, or is the liberalism intrinsic to Judaism? Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. I don't think think you can say what, I think it's a dialectic. I think both things inform the other, as they have done for thousands of years. The Greeks inform Judaism, right? The the Muslims in, in inform Judaism. Like we have been informed by the traditions around us for thousands of years, right? That is integral to what it means to being Jewish. So yeah, you know, maybe my Judaism is informed by the liberal environment in which I grew up in, just as my ancestors' Judaism was informed by the Greeks, by the Muslims who they they interacted with, right? That that's just part of what it means to be a very tiny minority in the world and to be constantly living surrounded by populations who aren't Jewish, but who have great wisdom to offer us. And we are great at taking this wisdom and using it to make Judaism even better, I think. I I still want, yeah, go ahead. I also just, you know, I think that one of the challenges is that, you know, my theory is that many Jews who are disengaged just haven't 
been shown a kind of Judaism that moves them, and that if they were, they would engage. For so many Jews, their only points of contact with Judaism are two incomprehensible Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur services that they don't understand, and kind of a long Seder, maybe a Hanukkah party. That is not where you are going. You're not going to walk away from that thinking like, oh, this has profound wisdom to offer me, right? You're just not going to. It's not accessible. But that's not, that's a tiny part of Judaism, right? There's so much more. And I think that if we found a way to show it to people like me, right, who used to, that would, that used to be my kind of Judaism, you had a way of showing what Judaism offers, I think they would be much more engaged. And I don't think that marrying someone non-Jewish has to necessarily make you less Jewish. Certainly isn't the case when I, in the interfaith couples I know. Oftentimes in the, inter, in the interfaith couples I know, often it's the non-Jewish spouse who is the one insisting that they take the kids to Tat Shabbat and get send the kids to Hebrew school and join a synagogue. Like they're the ones who are almost more excited about Judaism than their Jewish spouses. So I don't I don't really necessarily think that that's true. Okay, well that's that's a good point. But I I want to because we're going to run out of time shortly. So I and I I guess we disagree on this. I want. And I know lots of people hate this idea, but I like the idea of there being something essential. So when I look, because I am a liberal, and I look to Hillel, when you know Hillel is challenged by the Gentile who says he wants to convert, and if Hillel can give him the entire Torah while he stands on one foot, and then Hillel says, basically the golden rule, what is hateful to you, don't do to anyone else, that's the whole of the Torah. Everything else is commentary, go study the commentary. When I read that, I hear Hillel saying, first of all, quoting something that is not in the Bible. So he just came up with that. What is hateful to you, don't do to someone else. And when he says everything else is commentary, it's like saying, look, this is the core idea. If your reading of Judaism doesn't make you compassionate, then there's something wrong with your reading of Judaism. I think Augustine says the same thing about Christianity, but regardless, I love the, and this is just my opinion, I love the idea that there's something that compassion is at the core. But I want to ask you something else before we run out of time. And you were lucky. Now, I know a lot of the people that, you know, you talk about in the book, you were so lucky to, to have this amazing experience. And I'm wondering, but also worrying that most rabbis are not Yitz Greenberg. They're not Art Green. They're not presenting the Judaism that, that you're presenting. And I think you're right. If people, not just Jews, but if people in general heard the Judaism that you're presenting or that, that you were presented with, I think a lot of people would be energized by it. Why? Now, first of all, you can disagree with the premise. But if you don't disagree with the premise, why do you think? Still, the experience you had as a, as a young girl with Hebrew school is not atypical now, even. You know, I think the fact is Judaism wasn't meant to be lived as a once-a-week American-style religion, right? For many centuries, Judaism was a way of life. It was what you ate. It was the words you said when you woke up in the morning. It was the community, the very insular community in which you lived. And now we don't live in those insular communities anymore, which I think is great, right? We're... we're kind of assimilated, we're part of this broader society, and we're still trying to figure out how do you transmit Judaism? How do you teach it? And I will tell you, I've spent 15 years as a speechwriter translating complicated policy, things that are confusing or dull or whatever. I translate them into moving stories and images and ideas. And, you know, doing this for Judaism was by far 
the hardest thing I have ever done. It was so much harder than White House speech writing. And right now I'm someone who spent 15 years cultivating this skill. So I actually think, you know, it's hard, right? Translating this is very hard. It's a 4,000 year old tradition. It involves holidays, life cycle rituals, ethics, theology, history, culture, language, arts. I mean, there's so much that's involved in it, right? So it's very hard and it's all kind of hyperlinked to each other. There's no natural starting point. So I just think it's difficult to translate. And the fact is that so many of us as Jews, we stopped learning when we were 12. And then we grew up, had kids, and sort of outsourced Judaism to Hebrew school teachers and said, well, you teach these kids this 4,000-year tradition, and I'll give you three hours a week. Right? That's so, really unfair, right? So you, Yeah. No, I, I mean, I agree with that. But you, So you don't want to blame the rabbis. No, I don't want to blame rabbis or Hebrew school teachers. I don't think that's fair. You know, at the end so of the day. Who, so who should we blame? I, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's not about blame, right? No, there's no, I don't like blame or fault or accusations. I don't think that, like, I don't think that's what it is. I think we're just kind of coming up against the sobering reality that, you know, we have, I think, in Judaism, in America, largely focused on the peoplehood aspects of Judaism, like Jewish identity and some like almost Jewish ethnicity, which is not even real because Jews come in every ethnicity and race. So that's strange to me. Um, but we sort of focus on the peoplehood aspect of Judaism, which is very important, but it's a necessary but not sufficient condition, right? We actually need to focus on the substance of Judaism, the wonderful insight and wisdom and beauty and meaning that Judaism has to offer us. I don't think we've done enough of that. And so I think that's the project now. And I actually think each of us kind of has to take responsibility as adults. And let me tell you, that is hard. Learning about Judaism was so hard. And my book is my attempt to save some, to save people some of the thousands of hours I had to spend learning. You know, I tried to just basically distill the very best of what I learned down to a manageable size book and make it accessible and engaging and vivid, but still really substantive, right? You're, you're going to learn a lot in my book. It is not a, you know, it's not a beach read, right? Like it, it does involve some, you know, you really got to sit with it, but I've tried to distill down not just teaching the basics, but also many of the deeper insights that I think will transform people's lives. And I think that's a good starting point, right? But I think we have to kind of take it upon ourselves to learn, even if that means reading five pages a day about Judaism, reading an article online a day about Judaism, listening to a podcast once a week, you know, whatever it is that helps you learn about Judaism, I think everyone has to learn in their own way. Well, let me just respond to that. I think what you did in here all along, finding meaning, spirituality, and a deeper connection to life in Judaism is an amazing gift to people who are looking to find find something deeper in Judaism. And I think it's an amazing gift to people who are saying to themselves, wait, I'm not Jewish, what difference does it make? But what you did with Judaism, others could do with other traditions. And I think there's something empowering about the book besides, as you said, very informative. And, and I mean, you are a phenomenal writer. So the book really does read well. And I don't, I don't think people will be satisfied with five pages a day. But the other thing, <laughs> the kind. other thing, and maybe this is happening and we can end with this, but you wrote the book for, you know, for readers, I mean, people who are searching. I think that the other group that has to hear from you 
not from what you wrote in the book, but from your process and your story, are the people like in rabbinical schools and cantor school, cantorial schools and Jewish education institutions, uh, you know, who are training Jewish educators. I mean, I've been out for a long time, you know, out of the, the, the seminary since I graduated in 81. So I've been out of touch with that for a long time. But I, I have some sense of what's going on. And I think that so many of our leaders are addressing a people that no longer exists. But you, so I don't want to say you embody <laughs> the American no. Jew. Right? That's, I do that's not embody a, anything. I am, right. a, I am one Jew. One yes, Jew, yes, Darren Sabat. Right. right. I'm, I'm trying not to, you know, to overstate it. But if <laughs> they could hear your story and get a sense of, I mean, Art Green did this once in, in one of his books where he gave us this pretty much fictional young woman who he was talking to and who was struggling to find Judaism. Here is a living, breathing, actual woman who did it, who is, in a sense, paradigmatic of so many millions of Jews here and, and probably elsewhere. So oh, we did it. Uh, no, I, I, I also hope, you know, I hope lots of people of all religious faiths and no faith at all will read this, right? Like, I think... You know, I think each of these religious traditions has so much to offer. You know, each has moral wisdom. Each has insight about what it means to be human. And I really want to share Judaism's insight with both Jews and non-Jews, right? I, I want everyone to be able to come in and just learn from this and enjoy it. So I, you know, I, I hope this has a wide audience of people of just all backgrounds. Well, I, from from your mouth to God has no ears. So you just have <laughs> to, to figure out what, what you yeah, to, to something, right? So may that right. be your karma. Yeah, that's something like that. So our guest today, Sarah Hurwitz, is the author of Here All Along, Finding Meaning, Spirituality, and a Deeper Connection to Life in Judaism. Support for this show comes from the International Yoga Festival, uniting yogis of every culture, color, and creed in a one-world yogic family. Come be a part of an expanding global consciousness by registering at internationalyogafestival.org slash register. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, spiritualityhealth.org, where I now write a bi-weekly column called Roadside Musings. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our executive producer is Ben Nussbaum. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on The Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.